cliffcentral.com. Anthea is with us. Yay, it's Monday, which means we get to check in with Anthea. How are you, Anthea? Good morning, Gareth. I'm fine, thanks. Holding up okay. Yeah, you look fresh. You're wearing a, a white top, and uh, you've got an interesting shelf in the background there with lots of stuff on it. What's on your shelf? Uh, hand cream. <laughs> All the basics. Tissues. Okay, <laughs> tissues, hand cream. Sweets. What's in that jar, those green things? Sweets. Oh, sweets. <laughs> Very good. All right, so Anthea... Um, with with what's going on and they're starting to open up various sectors of the economy slowly but surely, are we starting to see any any movements, any changes? Are we starting to see any money moving around at this point? It's interesting you ask that question because I looked at the traded volumes on the JSC last week and for January, February, March, on average, the um, the trading volumes were higher than before, like higher than last year. So I would have thought that, like, especially in March, that traders and investors would have slowed down trading. But actually, no. So I think what's happening is that either speculators are in the market, day speculators, day traders, or scalpers, as we call them sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, And I think they're taking advantage of the intraday volatility. So if they see a share jumps 7% and they think, oh, well, it's going to come back. You, you know, they'll short it and wait for it to fall again. Or if they see it fall and they think it should be higher. And, and, and I think it's short, short trading, you know, so trading for the day, not trading to invest, okay. which, which is interesting because those guys do add volatility to the market. And, and so last week, our market was up 3%, which kind of seems normal, right? Yeah. But the, but but the problem is the daily volatility is still absolutely huge, and it's very much sentiment driven still. With some kind of fundamental data, like on Wednesday we saw U.S. retail sales um, reported their biggest plunge on record in March, so it dropped eight point seven percent, and and retail sales is a number. It's, it's a fairly good indicator of how the consumer's feeling. So this is the biggest fall on record ever. Um, and so, of course, our local market and global markets reacted badly. I think we were down for almost 4% on Wednesday when we heard this news. And, and then the kind of the non-fundamental stuff we're still seeing, like the IMF predicting that the world will suffer its deepest downturn since the Great Depression of the 1930s. I mean, like, literally, that's how they say it. <laughs> Does that sound to you to be about right, or do you think it might be a little drama? Because we also were told that, you know, coronavirus will kill five out of every hundred people on Earth, and that's turning out not to be true. Um, so already we're seeing a little bit of, of fundamental data coming out. So there's very little corporate news in South Africa at the moment. But sure. Last week, we had U.S. earnings season start, and so we've got some data. And we've got things like J.P. Morgan reporting their first quarter profit dropped by 69%. Bank of America recorded a 48.5% fall in their quarterly profit. Um, but then you've seen people like Johnson & Johnson actually holding on and sort of staying steady, you know, not not really making great increases in sales, but neither falling like these 48 and 69% numbers. Um, so I think it, it is dependent where you are. Though the one company that did report locally, which I think is of interest last week, was MassMart. Um, oh, yeah. Because, you know, before this started, they announced that they were closing 23, I think it is, Dion Wyatt stores, 11 mass cash stores. 
Um, and they reported that, well, they reported the results to the end of December, which was okay, um, but that was before Corona, right? Um, or the Rona, as people are now calling it. Yeah, the row road. I think you're down with the cool kids. Oh, cool. <laughs> and then they were saying that their sales growth or the update, up, trading update, for the 13 weeks to the end of March, sales grew by 1.3%. Yeah, because people went to their shops to stock up. So I think that's exactly what you'll see. I think you'll see a little surge in shopping, in sales, up till the end of March. But I think by April, everybody was kind of, okay, I'm used to this now. I really don't need to buy a cupboard full of toilet paper and tinned goods because I've still got <laughs> that's going to last me till next year. Um, so I think you'll see that drop off as well. Although food is food, right? Like I think people have to eat. Um, potentially they may not eat the expensive goods. The, I, I think people really are going to hold back when it comes to luxury goods. <clears throat> All right. So just to, to give us the overall picture here, you looked at local market um, local markets over the last week, 3% higher, um, mm-hmm. trading volatility levels that you haven't seen before. And the RAND, obviously a complete blowout after the um, Saab sprung a surprise 100 base points uh, rate cut on us. Now, obviously... Our, our interest rates are one of the few reasons people would still buy RANDs. Um, yes. So your interest rate or the yield that you're getting is – so this search for yield, it's called, yep. in inverted commas. Like the world is looking where they can put their money or their cash or where they can be invested, where they can actually get returns. And so bonds are quite nice, especially government bonds, because the government generally, generally don't default. I mean – there are exceptions, of course. There's Russia, there's Argentina in 98, there's a whole lot of them. But but normally, governments just can print money so that they can repay this money that they borrowed from you. And in South Africa, our 10-year bonds are currently trading still, believe it or not, um, at about 9, 9.5%. And I compare that to other countries where if you give your money to the bank or to the governments, you're getting anything between one and a half and minus something. So you're paying the banks to look after your money. That's crazy. Um, Yeah. So what happens then when the Reserve Bank cuts our interest rates is obviously the yield falls. And the, the, the reason for the drop or the blowout in this rand is because then people take their money out and think, well, where else can I go and put it? Maybe I should put it, maybe I should try Brazil, for example, where they're not cutting interest rates as fast as South Africa. So that's why you see this blowout. But I still think, honestly, I think, and again, this is, it's so hard to guess, but I think a fair value on the RAND is probably closer to 16.50 to 17. Well, and 17 is my... Currently trading at 18 Rand 80. There you go. <laughs> so I think you, you, I think you're going to see a lot of strengthening in the RAND in the next coming weeks, hopefully. Okay. Or, or, or maybe it's going to take months, you know, these things you don't know. All right. How about gold? How's that looking? So this is a great one because, of course, it's a safe haven asset. And when people are worried about where to put their money and what to do with it because they don't want to lose it, it's really like a capital preservation mandate. They run to gold. Even though you've always said gold is for pirates. I still don't understand that theory. I really don't because it's not like gold is the standard for currency anymore. You don't have to have X amount of rands in your vault it, it worth in gold to print rand. So, okay. okay. But here's the thing. 
Gold, for the first time ever, last week, Tuesday, hit a million rand per kilogram. And part of that is not just the spike in the gold price in dollars, because it prices in dollars on the international market, but actually the weakening rand. Hmm. Yeah, so so when you converted this uh, dollar gold price, which has been fairly kind of mundane, actually, I think, relative to what's going on in the world, if I if I let one million rand per kilo, now don't go selling all your gold jewelry. <laughs> I just say. No. So on, on the macro front, we've also got the International Energy Agency, and and what's happening with energy? I mean, we talk about oil, and and you know, the fact that most South Africans just think in terms of their own the effect on them that now we've got this low oil price, but no one's using their cars, so we don't get the benefit of it. But it's not just cars, it's also factories and manufacturing that use petroleum products to make goods. And they are are mostly closed right now, right? Exactly. And so not only are we not driving, but the factories are closed. And so the the IEA, the International Energy Agency, predicted that for April, the demand for gold would drop by 29 million barrels per day. And if you remember last week or the week before, we spoke about how OPEC Plus had cut the oil production by 10 million barrels per day. Mm -hmm. So that's nothing, of course. You you know, so so of course, now, if you're still producing, but demand, supply is still there, but demand has fallen off a cliff, then, of course, the price of oil is going to drop because there's an oversupply and nobody's buying it. Um, And so we saw oil drop to its 25-year lows. I mean, that takes us well before... 2000.com bubble, right? That takes us back to, where does it take us? Even before the Argentinian crisis, the debt crisis in 98. Wow. So it's a a real, it's it's a fairly big thing. I mean, so there's two big kind of oil um, indices that we use or futures that we use to price. One is Brent crude, which everybody seems to know about, and that's fallen to about $27 a barrel. And then the other is WTI, which stands for West Texas Intermediate. And that fell below $20 a barrel. So you would have seen that big headline last week in the news. Well, speaking of big headlines, um, SAA was announced over the weekend. Uh, Their business rescue practitioners came out and said they are basically going to liquidate SAA. Now, what do you think? Because there's a special cabinet meeting on today to decide the future of SAA. What's your opinion on all of that? Never let a crisis go to waste. <laughs> I think this is the perfect but, right, but, opportunity. Anthea, I was thinking about this. Like, If they started to liquidate SAA, if they'd been sensible about this before the coronavirus problem had come along, they could have probably got double the price for the things they're trying to sell, airplanes and you know all the other assets of the airline. They could have sold them at easily double, maybe even more than that. But now, no one wants to buy planes because right now the travel industry is in the biggest slump it's ever been in. I know that's that is absolutely the shame of it. So, so it's not so just it's not just that SAA was run badly, but even when they realized the writing on the wall was that it was a disaster, even then they made a loss on a disaster. And and I and I was looking at the number that they gave to SAA. I think it's about thirty billion rand because I know SAA or forty. SAA wanted another ten, and, and government said no, actually we can't. Mm. But that's thirty billion rand we could have had to support. Um, our efforts to to help the economy, to stimulate the economy. The problem, of course, is that 1,400 or whatever the number is, people are going to lose their jobs. So we're seeing huge job losses. Um, But, yeah, 
It, it's such a, a difficult smack. one. And as you say, um, what are they going to do with, with all their assets now? It's just going to sit there, right? And, and, a, and, a real, and a smack in the face of the unions who there's nothing for them to rescue here. There's no, there's no single job that will stay because the unions can bitch and complain and, and, and beat their drum as much as they want to. Nobody cares. There's nothing left for them to save. Which is why I said it's almost, uh, you know, use a crisis because they've almost got an excuse now. So before it was so political, like saving SOEs is such a political, emotive issue. Now they can say, well, actually, there's nothing we can do about it. This is what's happening. But seriously, though, on the report card of the ANC, another nail in the coffin. Really shocking. Yeah, a shame. All right. The U.S. also reported major job losses, um, brings the four-week total to 22 million people out of a workforce of 160 million who are sending unemployment above 15% in the U.S. So this this is just, this is mind-blowing. So it's easy in the U.S., by the way. Like it's a lot easier in the U.S. to get rid of people than it is here. You walk into the office, and if your boss doesn't like your tie, then well, he'll fire you. you know? um, but it's also easier to employ people. So I think some of those people are getting their jobs back or getting jobs or being replaced. Mm. But that is an astronomical number. And I have to remind you that previous week's high ever in the history of unemployment in the U.S., or it's UIF claims, actually, that's what it is, um, was 695,000. And last week they reported another 5.2 million people lost their jobs. And, and so now this is four weeks in a row, as you say, 22 million Americans in the last four weeks have lost their job. And that is just mind-blowing. And I've seen some reports of people predicting how many jobs we're going to lose in South Africa, you know, and it's gone from kind of somebody was, I I saw an article initially that South Africa is going to lose 750,000 jobs. Then it was a million. Now it's 1.5 million. There was also an article I read that said, is South Africa could become the first country in the world to have a more than 50% unemployment rate. Oh my God. Well, Tulas Ngresi, who's the minister of, um, of labor, said over the weekend that the system was never meant to face such a huge demand. The system is very small, helping with 10,000 to 20,000 job claims. Now they are taking millions. In terms of the system, we're not going to be able to deliver as we're supposed to. That's obviously the UIF system. He says that the UIF is under extreme pressure. Well, that's the thing. So I think they've done very well to make the UIF payments available. But one of the things I wanted to check today, because I was talking to my neighbor yesterday, was that... um, she says that they'd only paid out like 600 claims or something, which seems bizarre. Um, so I wanted to go and have a look at that to see how many UIF claims had actually been paid out. Because, you know, people are really going to depend on that um, in the next couple of months, hugely. Well, so. If you are, you're, you're probably in a bit of trouble because it might not even, might not even be able to deliver. Um, our UIF is like on a knife's edge anyway, and, and it's not as if there's this massive reserve of money. Despite the fact that employers are always paying into it. No, no, actually, Gareth, so, I mean, it's not a massive reserve, but there are reserves in the UIF fund, which is what government initially said they wanted to make available immediately without too much hassle. But they just implementation, implementation. 600 claims paid out? That seems uh, very small. Yeah, that does seem crazy. It doesn't seem right. So that's why I wanted to go and have a look at it. All right. Well, thank you, Anthea. That's enough for us to chew on for today. Have a good Monday and a good week.
Thank you very much. You guys too. Good. Let's hope they start opening up parts of the economy this week. It would be good news. Mm. Cliffcentral.com.